All right, well, we are in our final stewardship lesson. This is, let's see here, this is part, I guess this is kind of part seven, part, part six in my notes, because last time we didn't get all the way through. And we've been talking about uh, ways Or how did, how did we call this here? Let's just give me one second here. We've been kind of in this section on practical areas where we think about money, um, our stewardship. And we were talking about, we talked about earning. You remember we talked about how we're to work for the Lord and that's the normal way that, that we're to provide for ourselves. Then we talked about, um, and I, I don't know if I have this in the right order here, I think we talked about borrowing last time and spent quite a bit of time talking about debt, talking about good, good-ish kind of debts and bad kind of debts, especially credit card debts where, where it's particularly um, unwise to go into debt. Uh, we talked about other kinds of debt that are, that are kind of on a scale of, of good, better, best, if you want to say that. There's... There's debt that is very risky, debt that where maybe the, the thing that you've bought with that debt is now, the moment you buy it is actually that thing is now worth, worth less than what it would have been um, when you bought it. And so now you actually owe more than the thing itself. You can't get yourself out of that debt very easily. Then we started into this whole area of giving last time. And we didn't quite get all the way through that, and so we want to kind of um, get back into that. But what I had said at the last time was, because of the um, the nature of this series, I don't. There's not a whole lot that I actually even want to say more about um, about this last two areas: giving and spending and saving, um, because a lot of that we've we've already kind of covered in the principles in the first couple of lessons. But last time I introduced you, remember to the the Macedonians. Does anyone remember, and I, I know a lot of us weren't here even last time, but did, what does anyone remember about the Macedonians in regards to giving? Anyone remember, anyone remember anything about the Macedonians in, the, in regards to giving? Does anyone know what passage I might even be talking about when I say Macedonians? Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And we're gonna we're gonna reintroduce the Macedonians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you see that you excel in this act of grace also. So the Macedonians were had this kind of a strange combination. They had extreme poverty. But it, with that, in that poverty that they were going through, they also had this great joy in the Lord that moved them to give according to their means. But even then, Paul says, not even that, but even beyond their means, even begging earnestly for the favor of giving, um, to help the, the relief. Remember, they were, this was, this was kind of like, Extra giving, if you want to call it like that, it's kind of like above and beyond the regular giving where they're, they want to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And remember, it, the gospel had come from Jerusalem um, to Samaria to eventually even Macedonia. And so the gospel had kind of come from Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem are persecuted and suffering. And so the Macedonians want to, um, in a sense, kind of give back. They want to show grace and minister to these saints and and so they they begged for the opportunity and and Paul now wants the Corinthians to also excel in this grace of giving and so we kind of introduced that a little bit we talked about I think we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where Paul uh commanded or exhorted or told the Corinthians that that every week on the first day of the week, which would be the the, the week the the day that they gathered for for the the Lord's day, on the first day of the week they were to put something aside and store it up, as each person may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when Paul came, and uh, and so this kind of like a, a weekly giving, which was which was really in accordance with their. They're, the way that they were paid, mo- most people were paid every day in that culture, and so every day you would get paid for your day's labor, and um, and so then every time that people had come to church, they would they would um, give according to as as the Lord had prospered them, and so I can't remember now if we went through this part, but I just even if we did, I just want to quickly go over this again. This was some guidelines on giving from, from Randy Alcorn. And uh, I'll just kind of give them again. First one is just that we should give. And he points out 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where it says that each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And the idea there is that each believer is to give to the work of the Lord in the church. Randy Alcorn says after that, he says it's a sad statistic that four out of ten church attenders give nothing, and another two or three out of ten give next to nothing. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true in our culture, in our church, um, but it is a, a sad statistic. So, number one, we are, we're commanded to give. Secondly, the scripture commands us to even give generously, right? Like the Macedonians, even begging for the opportunity to give. Um, giving regularly, I think we see that in 1 Corinthians 16, where they were every, every week, every time they gathered, they were, 
they were to give something as, as according to the Lord had prospered them. And I, I think, um, in our culture, I, I don't think it needs to be a weekly thing. I think, but as frequently as we get paid, I think it would, it makes sense to give at that kind of a frequency. Um, that was number three, give regularly. Number four, give deliberately. And, uh, Al- Alcorn just encourages us that it should be something that we think about. We should think about how we've prospered, how the Lord's blessed us. And, um, and, and, and we should think about, you know, what, what we have saved up and what, what would be appropriate for us to give each time that we give. Um, he talks about fifthly, give voluntarily, that, that these are, these are free will offerings. Um, he points to Second Corinthians eight, where, which we just read, the Macedonians, and, and he says, "Give sacrificially." Uh, we should give sacrificially, like the Macedonians gave beyond their means. Uh, and just even as I say that, um, I think I just lost my train of thought. What I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, I guess at some point here, and I've probably already said something like this, but, um, if, if the local church, if God, if the Great Commission is something that excites us and captures our heart, and if, like, if we care about the expanse of the gospel to the world, then then we're going to give and we, and we, we want to give, right? We, we want to see the Lord's work prosper. And, and if we, if you think about it just a little bit, you know that it, it takes finances. It's, that's one of the things it takes. And even, even if, as we think about giving, it's not just finances either, but our time, our energy, our, our efforts should, should be in what the Lord is doing in building his church. And so if that moves us, then we're going to want to give sacrificially. And even as we like think about challenging ourselves to give, the, the more and more I think about it, the more I think like the only way that we can kind of break out of our materialistic culture and, and give sacrificially or, or, just really like deliberately think about how can we give and like revolve our lives around how we can honor the Lord in our giving. The only way that we can do that is if we're motivated by the great commission and the gospel and eternity. And, and, and honestly, like it's it's so awkward for me to talk about giving and even like this whole series, a little bit awkward, honestly, but, um, yeah, we need, like, we need that to, um, to build our church. But even, like, even more, um, we have to be motivated the right way. Like, that, that's just the only way that I think we can do it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, in a, in a sense, like, I want you to be obedient to your conscience, but in another sense, I just want you to be cheerful givers that, that are like doing it, not from guilt, not from because you think you should, but because you really want to and you're excited about the way the Lord's working. So that's what the Macedonians had. And I think that's, that's the key to sacrificial giving. Um, and maybe we'll come back to that more a little bit later. Um, he says as well, number seven, give excellently. Uh, he quotes Second Corinthians eight seven, where where Paul told the Corinthians, "See that you also excel 
in this grace of giving. Number eight, give cheerfully. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Alcorn says, God delights in the believer who takes delight in giving. And uh, I think that's, a, that's really good. Give cheerfully. And then I thought he had a ninth one here. Nine, give worshipfully. It's part of our worship. I'm sure we talked about that last time. Give proportionately as we, you know, as, as each of us prospers, we should give according to what we have. Um, and Randy Alcorn says here, true generosity is determined by how much a person gives of what he or she has. So, you know, it's, it's, it's based on, on what we have, not on what we don't have. And so generosity is just giving sacrificially of what we have. The Macedonians, they probably didn't give a lot, but compared to what they had in their extreme poverty, they gave uh, beyond even their means, and that's, that's what generosity is. Uh, and then number 11, give quietly. And he talks about how the, the left hand shouldn't know what the right hand is doing, Matthew chapter 6. Um, he, he goes into some details about, about how there, there are times where we, where it's, it is helpful to talk about it. I think giving is an area that we don't talk about a lot. And sometimes we don't have examples of that. We don't see examples because everyone is kind of quiet about it. And I think to some extent that's good, but to another extent, it's helpful to, to challenge one another and, and see you know, just like in other areas, we see a believer excel in a certain area and it motivates us to maybe be like that more. You know, you see somebody who's, I don't know, maybe particularly hospitable and it motivates you to be more hospitable. Well, in, in the same way, Alcorn makes some arguments where um, maybe from time to time it's actually helpful to challenge one another in this area of giving. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to really go into that too much here. So... Those are kind of some principles about giving, and I think that's about where we stopped last time. Um, and and this this is 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 what we what at least what I'm going to call right now new covenant giving. And um, sometimes Randy Alcorn calls it. Sometimes he calls it grace giving. But now what I want to move into is I, I want to talk about tithing, and so. But before I even do that, what, um, how do I word this? What, what, how, like, like, tell me, you tell, like, tell me what is, what is tithing? What's the, what's the word in town on tithing? Like, what, what have you been taught about tithing, uh, in other local churches that you've been part of? Remember, I, I, it's going to be, it's, remember, this, these are interactive times where we're, where, you know, I, I want to hear from you and, and, uh, and then you don't have to hear from me the whole time. So to give a certain percentage every month, um, that's like, that's something that you've heard taught that, that like as a, as like a must do. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Should do. Yeah. Okay. Anyone, everyone else agree with that? Everyone else heard it that way? Any, any different things that you've, that you've been part of in your churches? Um, the word tithing means, or um, comes from the definition of 
Ja, okay. So the word tithing, uh, one says, one says that the word tithing is uh, connected to 10%. So 10% of your, I always called it gross income. Maybe that, maybe that's the wrong pronunciation, but, um, but whatever. That's the gross income. Uh, 10%. Okay. That, so, so can I at least get like a nod? Is, is that something that you've heard before? There, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jody, what church did you go to that taught that? <laughs> before. Okay. Um, Okay, yeah, so tithing is more of an Old Testament idea. That's, that's kind of what, what I want to get into. Um, who knows the name Irenaeus? Put up your hand if you have heard of Irenaeus. Okay, a couple, couple folks. Irenaeus, uh, um, one of the, one of the church fathers, um, like, like 130 to 70 AD is kind of my, my guess, but like a very, very early church father, one of the earlier church fathers. There's a quote from him. He says, the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely, not the lesser portions of their property, since they have the hope of greater things. You guys able to catch that? So, the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely not the lesser portions of their property, since they have the hope of greater things. And so he's, he's saying we have liberty, but, but he's also saying we don't, we're not just bound by this law. We give everything to the Lord. And we talked about that in our first session, right? Everything that we have belongs to the Lord and we are stewards of it. Um, but we're also not under the law. And so let, let's kind of dig into that a little bit. But first, let's go look at what the, what the Old Testament saints were called to. Let's go to Leviticus 27 and verse 30. Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So every tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It, it belonged to the Lord. It was, it was holy to the Lord. It was set apart for the Lord whatever it was. Let me just read what Randy Alcorn says about this. He, and, and then he just explains this for us. He says, the meaning of the word tithe is a tenth part. Today, the term tithing is often erroneously used of all giving. People talk about tithing $50 when they make $2,000 a month a tithe of which is $200, not 50. You can donate 2% or 4% or 6% of your income, but you cannot tithe it any more than you can whitewash a wall with red paint. The Israelites were warned that to present to their creator anything less than the full 10% 
was to rob God since the first 10% belonged to him, not them. And then he quotes from Malachi 3.8. You guys probably know this passage, Malachi 3.8. I wonder what he has here. This is probably... Um, this is from the New International Version. I, I figured it would be. So Malachi 3.8 from the New International Version. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And that was, again, that's Malachi 3, 8 to 10. And Randy Alcorn goes on and he says, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, not just part of it. The obedient Israelite didn't ask whether he could give 7%, or whether he could give on the net rather than the gross, whatever God provided, 10% belonged to him. And then Alcorn goes on and he says, actually, there was not just one tithe for Israelites, but three. One tithe supported the priests and Levites, and he gives the scripture verses. That's I, I don't think, if you want these, I can give them to you later. But So there's three tithes. One supported the priests and Levites, Another provided for sacred festival, and the third ties supported orphans, widows, and the poor. And maybe I will give those in case someone's listening online. That's Numbers 18, 21 to 24 for the first one, Deuteronomy 12, 17 to 18, and 14, 23 for the tithe for sacred festival, and then Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29, and 26, 12 to 13 for a tithe that supported orphans, widows, and the poor. Then, then Randy Alcorn goes on and he says the, the Levite or the Levite and the festival tithes were perpetual tithes, but the tithe for the poor was collected only every third year. This amounted to an average of 23% per year. Because Israel was a nation as well as a spiritual community, some of these funds would equate to taxes that we pay today. However, the first and most basic tithe was for religious purposes, specifically to support the spiritual leaders, freeing them to fulfill God's calling and providing the resources necessary to do their job well. Now, this this whole thing about tithing is is really very similar to why I said that we give... Um, we give first to our local church because really what, what we're doing when we give to our local church is we're supporting the spiritual leaders and freeing them up to fulfill God's calling. Now, there's a, there's a few differences as we think about this versus us today. Um, of course, one is that Israel was a nation. Um, and, and so there was, there was kind of some, some taxing in, in their ties. And, and also, and I, I didn't really go into this super deep as I, as I studied this, but, um, some of the tithing that you would do, you would also get to eat that. When you went and made a sacrifice at the temple, there would be like a, an eating of that sacrifice in some cases. And so that was kind of a fellowship meal that often would happen. Um, now, 
Alcorn talks a lot about, and I don't know how, is everyone feeling okay? This is maybe a little uncomfortable to talk about, but, um, Randy Alcorn, um, he calls this chapter tithing the training wheels of giving. And he, he basically says, you know, in the, in the New Testament, we're not under the law. We're not Israel. We're not required to give 10%, but he, he would say, and he would make a, I think a really powerful argument that, um, that, that what he called grace giving, like New Testament giving, that it should, it should go like well beyond the tithe. That's, that's how Randy Alcorn would say it. It should, we should be giving beyond 10% if we're kind of like what Irenaeus said, we have kind of the we have the greater hope of things, and so we should give beyond that. Um, and I, I, you know, I think in some ways he makes a really, a really good argument. Let me see if I can just find one of these. I didn't, I didn't put it in my notes. Well, yeah, one of them was only every third year, so it, it kind of averages, it would average out to 23%. Um, so here's what Randy Alcorn says on this. He says, being under grace doesn't mean living by a lower standard than the law. Um, he says again, he says, as we've seen, however, the Israelites' triple tithes amounted to 23% of their income, in contrast to the average 2.5% giving of American Christians. This statistic suggests that the law, and this is really, I think, a powerful argument. He says, this statistic suggests that the law was about 10 times more effective than grace! Exclamation mark. Even using 10% as a measure, the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the law of grace. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know, I read that and I, I felt like fairly convicted. Now, I think though, like again, when we really think about, and, and, so, what do I want? I want to say, first of all, we're not under the Old Testament law and we're not required Although there are commandments like 1 Corinthians, like, you know, every week store something up as you, as the Lord prospers you. Um, we've seen the command, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up treasures in heaven. And the way to do that, we've, we've kind of talked about that. Um, but even that said, we aren't, we aren't under the law and I'm, I'm not, at least not yet, where Randy Alcorn is, where he would, like Randy Alcorn would say, if you don't give 10% of your gross income, you are robbing God. And he would, he would take it that seriously. He would just say it that, that boldly. I'm, I'm not quite there. And, and I, as I think about even the, and I'll just, I'll just be totally open and honest with, with like Jody and, and our finances. You guys get a little uh, spreadsheet once a year that tells you exactly how much I, we get paid anyways. So, um, 
So it's not a big secret or anything, but, but Jody and I, um, would find it fairly difficult and have found it fairly difficult since I've been in ministry to give 10% of our, of our gross income. Um, we are very, very close, I think, but, but, um, and, and I think, I think the reason for that partly is because of the amount of taxes that we pay in this culture. Um, but maybe that's just me justifying it and, um, and just living at too high of a, a le- of a standard of income. I, you know, I'm not sure, but I, I just, I just, I know that if we add up what, what we would pay in taxes, it would probably be closer to, um, 40 or 50% of our income. Now you think, well, where is that? Well, everything you buy, there's 5% general services tax and then there's gas taxes and there's, there's all kinds of like hidden taxes beyond our income tax that we pay. But I still, I, I want you to feel the weight of like Randy Alcorn's argument that, that there is a, a place where, you know, the Lord really should come first. And that's why he, gave in the law this these commandments that I want you to bring the 10% first. He didn't say like try to make a living and then and then whatever's left give it to me. He said I want the first 10% belongs to me and then you're you're trusting the Lord to provide for everything after that. And so um you know I I again like Jody and I are I think are are fairly faithful in our giving. And uh, there, there's a question I wanted to ask later in the um, later in the lesson, but I'll, I'll just ask it now. I think a, a helpful way for a New Testament believer to think about this would even just to be to ask a question like this: If every person in the church gave like we do, if every person in in the 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 church gave like our family does, where would this church be? Financially, how how would the, would this church be able to operate like that, or or not? And I think that's a really helpful question. And you know, another another way to think about it too would be like if if um, if every family in the church did give ten percent, let's just say we all everyone did, then ten families, hypothetically speaking, ten families would be able to cover a pastor's wages, and maybe even another five or maybe even 10 families would be able to cover everything that was necessary for the a building or whatever they needed as far as like other expenses because there's there's other expenses besides freeing up a pastor so you know for every you imagine if for every um 20 families in a church you could have a pastor ministering to you and caring for you and and seeing that the great commission goes out in further ways um, but I, I just know that, that our church, even our church isn't, isn't at that place. Now, some people, I don't, and I don't know what anyone gives. I really try not to know. It, it, whenever a spreadsheet comes that might possibly have that, I try to not see that. And I think I've got everyone, like I've got Phil on, on board that, that I, he doesn't let me see those things and even by mistake anymore. And so, um, I don't know because I don't want to be influenced by that. Um, but I do know that that um, if if we all gave ten percent, we would likely have more than we do have now. So that I I, I can kind of do that much um, math myself. But again, um, 
I'm, I'm just, I'm not so strong where I'm going to say that we're robbing God, but I, I want us to feel the weight of that. And just again, like we did in the very first couple sessions in this series is, is just ask ourselves, you know, is, is my treasure in heaven? You know, cause where our treasure is, there our heart will be. Is, is, is my heart with the church and the kingdom of the Lord seeking first his kingdom or is it, you know, seeking first my comfort? And, uh, we really need to weigh that. And, and I, I really, you know, again, that, what, what Randy Alcorn said on that page that I lost here again, um, which was this way. The average, the average is two and a half percent giving of American Christians. And I think it would be very similar for Canadians. This statistic suggests that the law was about 10 times more effective than grace. And even using 10% as a measure, the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the grace of Christ. And he says, reread that last sentence and ask yourself if something isn't terribly long, terribly wrong. So Randy Alcorn, just like, you know, the law was a tutor. Remember the law was a tutor to, to bring people to Christ, to lead people to Christ. He thinks the law of tithing should be a tutor to teach us about giving. And so he recommends, and I would say the same thing that, that we should all try to get our giving to 10%, um, and, and trust the Lord with that and, and work up to that. And then even beyond that. And in the, in this book, there's, there's really all kinds of examples of people who, who thought like, I want to give, you know, half of my income to the Lord. And they, they made that like a, a goal and they worked towards it. And I, I think that would be a, a great thing. But again, we need to be motivated not by guilt, but by an understanding that by giving, we're impacting the kingdom. And, you know, you just think about what our church could do in supporting like really faithful, awesome missionaries. Uh, um, but it, it takes money. So um, let me just read. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits, right? Remember, we talked about how giving should be one of the, the very first thing that we do with any money that we get. The first step is to give. And then after that, the other things come out of that. But the Lord says, if you, if we honor him with our wealth, with the first fruits of, of what we have, then he will bless us and provide for us. And, and like, honestly, I don't, I don't know about you and how you've experienced it, but I, I've, I feel like I've experienced that. And I feel like sometimes, I feel like sometimes, and maybe this is just ridiculous, me being silly, but I feel like sometimes the Lord blesses us so much that like, 
I'll just, I'll happen to get sent shopping and like the things that I need are just on sale that week. Like I just, I feel like the Lord takes care of us that way. Of course, Jody's probably smiling because she's like, yeah, chips aren't always on sale when you go shopping, Mike. So the, <laughs> the Lord also blesses us with extra snacks when I go shopping. So maybe he blesses us that he keeps me busy so that I don't have to go do too much shopping around here. But um, anyways, I, I feel like I have experienced the Lord providing for us and... Um, and, and, and I, I just even say, I, and I think I might have said this at some point, but one of the reasons I was, I was like reluctant about being a pastor early on is because giving is and was a huge joy in our life. And, um, I think, I think Jody has a gift of giving, um, and, and she often challenges me in giving, but, but now we, we often challenge one another, or at least that we have at times. And, um, uh, I lost my train of thought again, but, uh, what was I, why was I saying that? Why was I saying that, Todd? <laughs> um, oh yeah, because, you know, it was, it was, it was a, it was a joy in our life to give. And I think it, it can be and should be a, a real joy in, in all of your lives, to be able to give and and serve the Lord in that way, it's a it's a great way to um, be a part of the the kingdom of heaven is by giving. Any you know what I'm just going to open it up here. Any thoughts or questions on that? Is that is that like just not at all helpful? Should a person's giving be strictly to the local church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say the the first part of our giving should be to the local church, but then I, I wouldn't I wouldn't limit it there. I think there's other great um, ministries that exist in the world that are that are helpful and and that 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 deserve our giving. But the you know I I think it's it also as we do that we need to remember the thing that the Lord is building in the world is his church. And that's the, the, the means that he's designed to glorify himself. The, the primary means like through which the great commission is going to be fulfilled is the local church. And so that should be kind of our number one priority. And then other giving would, would maybe fall outside of that. And of course, like that would, that would include even like giving to people in, in needs, meeting needs and stuff that, that should kind of, there should be that in our lives as well, but that would be, I would say outside of kind of that first thing that we give would be to our local church. Um, yeah. Okay. Let me, let me read here. Um, so just a little bit more from Randy Alcorn here on this section of where he's talking about grace giving. He says, the tithe is God's historical method to get people on the path of giving. It's the historical method. In, in other words, that's, that's where the, the Lord started by laying a foundation for that in his law. He says, quote, in that sense, it can serve as a gateway to the joy of true grace giving today. Just as it gave rise to spontaneous, joyful, free will giving that we see in various Old Testament passages. It's unhealthy to view tithing as a place to stop when our, with our giving, but it can still be a good place to start. 
And then he asked this question, and I think this is helpful. He says, can tithing be legalistic? Of course. The holy habits of church attendance, prayer, Bible reading can also degenerate into legalism, but that doesn't make them illegitimate. Anyone who stops going to church, praying, or reading scripture for fear of being legalistic is approaching the problem from the wrong angle. And then he says this, and I think this is really convicting, so I'll read this too. He says, I listen to any Christian who says tithing isn't meant for us today, provided that he gives regularly himself and that his giving exceeds the tithe. But I've learned that often there's a hidden agenda behind the protest. The pro-grace or anti-legalism trump card rings hollow when it attempts to normalize wealthy Christians giving less than the poorest Israelite. While appearing to take the theological high ground, they are effectively saying that God has lowered the standards of giving and that the power of New Testament grace is less than that of the law. Such a view is an insult to the saving and empowering work of Christ. With some exceptions, I have found that most who argue against tithing use their arguments to justify their own lack of generous giving. My response is to gently suggest to such people that their reasons may be less biblical and theological than personal. They simply don't want to give that much. And so I, I think that's helpful. But again, I just, I, you know, whether, and maybe this is just me justifying again, um, but I think in our culture, in, in our day, it, I think it, it is a bit difficult to give 10%. And I, I think it probably depends where your income is as well. But, but also, like, even as I say that, we, we sometimes just gravitate to the highest possible standard of living and, um, and, and then justify it by, you know, by not being generous. So, um, So again, tithe, Alcorn says, tithing isn't the end of giving, but it can be a great place to start, can be a good beginning. And I, I, I think he's, I think he's at least right on that. Um, so, but I did want to just cover that tithing question. Any, any questions on that? Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, would it be a good thing to, to maybe give less now in order, you know, maybe to pay off some debts or, or, um, loans that you have or whatever? Maybe you have a bunch of credit card debt. Should I give less now in order to, um, maybe later on give more? I, I would, I would say, I, th- I think we probably need to be careful about that. I think we, I think there's endless reasons that we could justify not giving and to kind of say, I'm going to give more later. I think, I think we need to trust God right away. Um, although I do see a place and, and again, I, like, 
you'd think I'm supposed to be the teacher here, but I feel like I'm not really super helpful on all this. But I, I feel like there's a place to kind of work up our giving. But I think we should at least give something and and trust the Lord with that. Um, now, if you're in a whole lot of, de- of really bad debt, even then, I would I would I would almost encourage you. You got to give something and trust the Lord, and and then pay off the debt. Like, but but like, remember last time, like pay off that debt. Like, you know, I would say don't eat don't eat any Subway sandwiches or don't eat any fast food or, you know, like cut some things out of your life that you don't, aren't, aren't absolutely necessary and pay that down that debt. But, but beware of, of kind of, you know, we can always say I'll give more later. Right. And I think sometimes we think that like, Oh, if I made, if I made $75,000, then I'd give more. Well, if I made $80,000, then I'd give more. And next thing you know, it's like, if I made $200,000, then I'd be able to give. And eventually you're going to end up in heaven and you're going to have really given nothing. And I think you'll wish that you had, you know, so, um, yeah, lay up treasures in heaven, not not on earth. And I think that we just have to be careful. We have to be wise. We, I, I say, we, I think we do have freedom, but we need to be wise. And and we don't, we definitely don't want to be giving nothing. And I, I think you, even as you think about that question and like, what are we going to do? Again, ask yourself if every person gave like I'm thinking about giving here, how would our church be? And um if the church would be in serious trouble, then I, I think that you need to rethink your plan. Now I know that you know because really you're you're now other people are making up what maybe that you should be contributing to. Um, anyway, that's what I would say. I, I you know I almost love to hear what we'd all say about that, but um, I, I'm kind of scared to open it up like that either. So and and I'm sure you guys don't want to say nothing if too much. But if you did have something to say, I would I would let you say it right now. Any other th- any thoughts? I think we live in a culture where the standard of living is so high, and I can just speak for myself. Like I'm guilty of that. Like we just, we tend to think this is a normal standard, and, and we need to have yeah. Any of these things because that's what our culture does. Yeah. And we get trapped. In yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to get out of that mindset that we we deserve or should have this standard of living. And if we have any more money coming in, we just up that standard of living right away. And uh it's not a it's not an eternal mindset. And uh I you know, I I, I yeah, I would I want to encourage you guys so that when you guys get to heaven, you're like thank you, Pastor Mike, for challenging me, but at the same time I don't I don't wanna like lay a burden on you. But uh, yeah, I think that's really good, Will. I think that's really helpful. All right. So that, that's, you know, that's, that's all I want to say about giving. Um, the next thing, so we're kind of, if we're going in the order of what we should do, like we should earn money. We, then we shouldn't borrow money. We talked about that. Um, first thing we should do with that money we earn then because we didn't borrow is, um, is we're giving to the Lord a portion of what he's given to us. Remember, everything belongs to the Lord already. We're just giving him a portion of that as an act of worship, as a sign of trust, and uh, as, a, as a way to, to month by month 
invest in eternity. And then the next thing that we should do with our money is put something aside for savings. And let's, let's go to the scripture here first. Let's go to Proverbs uh, 21. Now, as we talk about saving here, and as we turn to Proverbs at the same time, Proverbs 21, as we talk about saving, Proverbs 21.20, we want to keep in mind here the whole thing that we've talked about as far as borrowing. So if you're staying out of debt and you're not borrowing money and you're trying to keep away from having to borrow money, then that means you're going to have to save money so that, you know, maybe one day you could buy a house or even buy a car. And we'll, we'll talk about maybe buying a car a little bit later on. One of the bigger expenses that we'll ever have. But if, if we're going to keep away from borrowing, that means we need to kind of almost like lend money to ourselves by saving it up for a day when we, we might have to make a bigger purchase. And so the, the second thing we should do every month with whatever money comes in, we should give some. And then number two, we should save some. And Proverbs 21.20 says this, it says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A foolish man devours it. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. In other words, he saved some treasure and some oil, um, maybe even some, some supplies of food so that on a, on a difficult day, he has something to, to spare. He has something to give. He, he, he can, he can, um, deliver himself from some difficulties that come. A little bit of money sometimes can help you keep out of difficulties. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about that somewhere. And, and so, there's a there's a a wisdom in a certain amount of saving. There's a a foolishness in hoarding, but there's a bit of wisdom in some saving. But a foolish man, according to Proverbs twenty one twenty, devours it. Now, uh, a dear brother at breakfast this week was telling me about a, a day when he was younger, when uh, he made a whole bunch of money in the bush that first year that he he uh, was working in the bush he made a whole bunch of money and he was he was just kind of spending it and spending it and uh, i don't remember what it was like like $20,000 or something like that and and he, all of a sudden one day he goes to the bank account to make a withdrawal and all that money he had he had spent it all and uh and he was you know that was that was foolish but i think i think some of you maybe when you were younger remember just kind of spending every penny that you had until there was nothing left. And that's that's a, a foolish thing to do, just to, to use it all up. It's wise to put some aside and save it. And so Proverbs 6 talks about this as well. Go, go to Proverbs 6, and uh, we'll look at verses 6 to 9 there. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And so this, this ant is wise. It doesn't have a boss. It doesn't have a, an officer. It doesn't have a ruler. Mom's not, 
you know, telling the, the ant what to do and to save up and whatever. But it, this ant prepares her bread in the summer. When, when times are good, the ant is kind of gathering for the hard times, the gathering food for the harvest and harvest time so that all winter there's something for it to live on. And, and that's what, what wisdom would tell us to do, that we would have something for maybe, uh, the, the chance that we, I don't know, lose your job or you need to buy a car or your furnace breaks down or whatever kind of thing might happen. We should have some money saved up for that. And so, um, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to just quote something here from Alcorn here on page 327. He says, the purpose of savings is to set money aside for the future. By foregoing expenditures now, we preserve resources for later, end quote. By preserving or, or by foregoing expenditures now, by not spending everything that we have now, we preserve resources for later. And that's really what we're doing when we're saving. Uh, Alcorn says again, he says, long-term savings are a way of using years of plenty to prepare for years of lack. And he had just kind of talked about the Joseph narrative there. Or no, he's going to do that right now. He says, as Joseph did, anticipating retirement, I might set aside money to supplement an income reduction in the future. Or I might systematically save for my children's college education, which could be 10 years away. There are also many poor reasons for saving. Some of out of greed. Others save because they're misers. Others save out of fear. They're anxious about the future. By stockpiling money, they insulate themselves from God, no longer depending on his provision and protection. And so Alcorn says we can't say saving money is biblical or saving money is unbiblical. It really, it really depends on our motives and why we're doing it. But I think just from Proverbs 21 and, and Proverbs 6 here, we can see that there's some, there's a wisdom in, in saving up for, uh, the future. And so we want to save again so that we don't have to borrow. Uh, we, we, we don't, we want to keep out of debt. Scripture tells us that. And so we want to save so that we don't have to borrow. We also want to save so that we have something to meet needs, right? So we, we, there, the opportunities come where we can help people and be a blessing in people's lives. And we need to have some money saved up in order to do that. And so we save so that we can meet needs. Uh, and that's needs of others or even our own needs, like emergency kind of needs. And so we should save. Now, especially, I think, if, um, you know, if you're, if you're kind of of the mindset that you're not going to, um, you're not going to take out a mortgage and buy a house. And, uh, I don't know if, if that was convincing or compelling to anyone last time we talked about the advantages or disadvantage of, of renting versus owning. But especially I think if you're, if you're renting, um, and you, you don't have a mortgage, I, I think you want to save up some money like you would have saved up. If you did have a home, if you did have a mortgage and you were gaining equity on that mortgage, uh, I think you also would want to save kind of in a larger way in that sense. So um, any questions about, about saving then? All 
All right. Well, I, I guess um, I guess that's it about saving then. Uh, Alcorn says here, let me just read this one more thing. He says, it's wise to give first, save second, and spend last. Otherwise, we'll spend everything and have nothing to give or save. We'll also set ourselves up to fall into debt when true needs arise. Saving is a discipline that develops authority over money. Instead of letting money take us wherever our whims incline, we take control. And I think that's that's kind of the idea with saving money. Now, let's talk just very, very briefly about spending money. Um, I think really the, the principles that we've looked at kind of teach us on that. A, a few things, though, I, I maybe want to say tonight about, about spending money. Um, we should be careful about just spending all of our money. Uh, we should be careful about living to the highest standard of living that we can uh, and not not giving, not saving. Um, we have freedom in in what we what we buy, right? We're we're we have freedom in Christ. We can, we talked about how um, we can. There's there's not like a rule. Like we can't say like chrome bumpers are worldly and non chrome bumpers are okay. Um, you know, one person might spend in a certain area where another person wouldn't. Um, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I know some people who have, uh, I don't know why I thought about this right now, but, but, um, I used to sell Cutco knives, right? I used to sell these, these, they're, they're nice knives and you can, you can be free to have nice knives or you can have really cheap, terrible knives that don't cut anything. Right. And, and that, that's a freedom that you have. Um, we're, we're free. We're not to judge one another in, in what we spend, but at the same time, we all we also have this like endless ability to justify almost anything that we want to have, and we have to remember that there is an eternity, that there there is a heaven, and that's when we're going to enjoy our nice things. You know, in in the Pilgrim's Progress, um, in the Interpreter's House, I don't know if you remember the the Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should you should read that one of these days. Um, but in the interpreter's house, uh, I can't remember all the details, but, but there's a, some people there that, that are, are patient because they know that, that they don't get all their good things now, but they're going to get all their good things in eternity. And I think that's what we need to remember is that that's the place for us to have our, our dream home to have everything that we want um, forever. We will have we will be rewarded in eternity, but now we have this once in a lifetime opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. And once that's done, that's done. And we we don't want to waste that. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy nice things. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. First Timothy six ish. But um, we need to be careful. And and also when we think about spending. You know, the thing is, we, we may be free to have something, and, and we are, let's say we are free to have something, but whatever we have, it, it, it starts to make demands on us, right? That's why Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. The more nice things we have, the more tied down we are to them. And so, um, you know, you buy a, a, a nice thing that, that you're free to have, but now you gotta, 
You got to care for that nice thing and you got to, you got to spend time, um, polishing that nice thing or washing that nice thing or taking good care of that thing. And, and it just, it eventually, it just, it'll just, it sucks more and more of our time and energy and resources. And, and now is not the time for that. And so, um, we're, you know, remember we're in a spiritual war. We're fighting a battle. We're, we have a purpose to fulfill the Great Commission. And so as free as we are, just, just be wise about it because we don't want to serve mammon, which is wealth, possessions, property. We want to serve God. And so we should, we should keep that in mind with everything that we do as far as our, our stewardship goes. But I think that's really all that I wanted to say about spending. Um, you're free. We don't, we don't judge one another. It's, it's okay to have nice things. Um, but don't forget about eternity. Any, any questions, comments, uh, about anything in, in the series? Ask me again in a different way. If you, or, or, or tell me, tell me that again. <laughs> you know the Lego movie where the guy says, um, do you guys, you know that part in the Lego movie that I'm talking about, which I haven't said what I'm talking about yet? <laughs> but, uh, the part in the Lego movie where he goes like, um, that was really great. Tell me again. I wasn't listening or something like that. Do you know that you kids know that part? I don't remember how he says it, but it's really funny. Um, no, you, you, yeah, like you said, a cheerful giver, but I just, I just didn't quite like connect on everything there. So, so like within the context of the New Testament. Yeah. Context of the New Testament, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, I, that verse, God loves a cheerful giver, is is in the context of money. But I, I think I think we can think about stewardship and giving just j- in, with other things as well, time and money. Now, you know, if if somebody says though, like, well, I don't, I don't, you know, like, you know, uh, like I could see as some pastor saying this somewhere, like, I don't, I don't give any money because I give my time all to the church. Well, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that was a, a wise thing, but we can give of our time and talents and resources and, and we should be generous with all of those things as well, right? Our, our whole life should be an act of generosity of serving others and serving the Lord, um, right? Dying to ourself and, and, and seeking to, to glorify God by serving others. That's, that's what we should be about. Um, so yeah, I, so yeah, uh, yes, that, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't, you can, you know, if you, if that makes you feel good, I think like you could do that. But I, I, I think that there should be, um, some, some giving, like some financial giving as well as other areas. Yeah. But, you know, we should be generous in every area of our life, right? 
And, and that does include our time and our talents and our resources. You know, sometimes we can be just really selfish with our time and just use it all for ourselves. And that's not, that's not godly really either. So, yeah. Any other questions? Um, should a business give to the church as well? Um, I, I think like you, I think a business could give to the church. I think like when I think about that, I think of like a, um, like a small business where like there's one or, or maybe a couple of owners and maybe, maybe they do their finances differently and they kind of run everything through the business. I, I think you, you still want to give, like, I think you want to factor that in if that's, if that's the way that, that your finances are set up so that like, you know, um, I, you know, I actually, I remember a, a guy who was, who was a mentor of mine, uh, back in my like early newly saved college and career days. And, um, he had, he had structured his company so that he could, he could give significantly. I think he, he paid himself, um, $10,000 a month so he could give $1,000 a month to the church. And he was, and, and I think that kind of gave him some, like, um, some, like, power in the church, in, in that church that I was a part of. And, uh, and so he had, he had kind of structured things that way. But then when, when things weren't going his way, he structured his whole company around, the exact opposite so that he could give almost nothing, but his company paid for everything so that he could live and stuff. I, I just think, you know, I, I just think that's not, not good. But if you want to set your company up so that you can give and you give it through the company, I, I think that's fine as well. But, um, you know, I, th- I think we should probably think about it like the, the Israelites, like whatever, whatever they received, they were giving that back to the Lord, a percentage of that back to the Lord. And so whatever comes in for us, we should be giving some of it or, you know, whatever we decide um, of it to the Lord, um, to, to support the church and other ministries. If that, if that helps. any other any other questions okay well um i know we're i know we were promised a campfire tonight but you know if i guess if there are any other questions about anything else we could i could open it up to that for a few minutes too we still have at least 15 minutes of what we normally would do i'm i'm like you know, I'm just totally in summer mode here. I think, or like I, even tonight before the campfire promise or whatever, I was thinking I wasn't going to come dressed like this, but I was thinking like I'm just in summer mode already, and and uh, we're we're starting to think about our holidays coming up, and um, so enjoying the nice weather, I guess, is what I would just say. So if we go and enjoy the nice weather, that's okay too. But if uh, if there is a question, like that's what this these times are for, is to Answer any questions. Yeah, predestination. We could go there. 
my friends uh, from Grace Life were asking me about predestination and calling and election and Arminianism all afternoon, and that we had some good conversations, yeah. Actually, our friends from Grace Life, I remember uh, the, the membership interview with them, and I remember that he wasn't too sure about election uh, back then, and, and uh, yeah, now I think he's totally convinced about that. He's just not, now he's not sure how to explain it to his other family and friends that go to different churches. So um, I've had lots of those over the years, and I, I, yeah, I always find that really neat. But yeah, if you don't if you don't agree with the the sermon today, that's okay too, right? Like it's it's something that we need to learn and 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 just see and and examine the scriptures and see if that's so. And so I always just tell people like you don't have to believe that to go to our church, but but you know if scripture teaches it, then then you do have to believe it, right? And so there's kind of a a fine line there, I think. But it it, it takes some time to there's a. I, you know, I dumped a lot of information this morning, so, um, <laughs> getting some nods. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I think we're going to just uh, call it a night, guys. Thanks so much for being part of this series. Hopefully it was helpful to think about some of these things a little bit, challenging, Um yeah, I don't know what we're going to do next year as far as stewardship, or we're not going to do stewardship anymore, but as far as these Sunday evening services, we'll, we'll figure that out over the summer. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll let you know when, when I have it figured out. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for our, our time together tonight in your word. And, uh, yeah, just thank you for the way that you provide for us the way that you care for us, not only spiritually in our salvation, but even financially and how you instruct us in your word. In really so many areas, um, we ask that you would help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. Help us not to be caught up in in the, the world system that we live in, but help us to be um, caught up in your truth, in, uh, in your worldview. Uh, help us to be motivated to live for eternity and to really focus on that in our day-to-day lives. Uh, we ask that you'd help us to be balanced about it too, that we would enjoy the good things that you've given us, but also not forget about eternity. And, and so we really need your help in that, Father. We're, we're so influenced by our society and by our world and by all those things around us that people think are important. Uh, we know that what is highly favored among men is an abomination to God, and we just pray that we would not be abominable in the way that we live our lives and that you would be glorified and shown to be great through our lives and especially in the way that we spend our money, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.